American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my hand tonight. Had the time of my life. When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Throw it all away. Throw it all away. If I had boobs, they'd be out all the time. I know. How do you know? Because they are. I don't have any. Well, your nips are out all the time. I like having them out. I like freedom for my nips. Free the nip. All right. Ready? Yeah. Welcome to another episode of American American Timelines. I'm Amy and that's Joe. Yes, that's who we are if you didn't know, but now you do. If you don't know, now you know, motherfucker. All right. I thought you were going to be clever with rhyming and then you just... Well, it's a Biggie Smalls thing, but I can't say the word he says because it's the N-word, and I I don't say that. Right. So I had to change to motherfucker, and not that it rhymed anyway, but we're history for jerks. That's right. I'm the history. She's the jerk. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Oh, man, I'm going to take a sip of this little slurp, my Noda Brewing. You ever heard of them? Yes, I have, in fact. Is part of Charlotte. They're in uh, North, North Davidson area of Charlotte. They call it Noda. It's a delicious. I this is gonna don't even ruffle feathers, but I think favorite. it's my favorite beer. I think it has just dethroned Reptar juice. What is it called? It's called Lil Slurp. I made it my background of my phone. Oh my god, you're <laughs> ridiculous. I, my background is no longer my kids. It's now Lil Slurp. Little slurp. Oh it's god. so good. Oh my I god. can't figure out how it's so good. And then it'll change to hop slam, and then it'll change no. to yeah. No, you always do that. No, red be... oak. Whatever happened to that one? <laughs> I'm embarrassed by red oak. I'm embarrassed uh-huh. by saying that one was the best. Yeah, that was when that. I was first getting learning about craft beer, and I was hammered when I drank that. So mm-hmm. okay. Anyway, today we're going to talk about 1958, correct? Yeah. And we're going to talk about. Um, specifically, September and October. Right. Good. I remembered. Good memory, babe. Well, I knew October because mine's in October. So. Oh, so you just deduced. I just, it was, I was going to go 50-50 either September, October or October, November. and You had a 50-50 shot at getting I it really right. I really did. Well, I'm glad you're here with Thanks. me. Thank you. In the podcast studio in Waxhaw, North Carolina, in my garage, That's in right. our garage. Yes. We are... Co-homeowners. Co-owners. Co-homeowners of this establishment filled with dogs and jerk teenager kids. That's right. All right. So let's begin. Let's All right. begin. I'm going to just totally skip September 1st of 1958, okay? Okay. I'm just going right past it. I'm jumping right to the 2nd of September, which is a Tuesday. Got it. And that's the day that all 19 people on a U.S. military air transport service C-124 cargo plane died when it crashed into the sea five minutes after departing Guam on the last part of its trip to Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines. They were almost there. Yeah, they were there, I guess. Almost. But a U.S. Air Force transport plane with 11 crew on board crashed in the Soviet Union after straying across the border. 
from Turkey into Soviet Armenian airspace. Really? Air, airspace. Armenian airspace. 35 miles northwest of Yerevan. The Soviet foreign ministry acknowledged on September 12th, a little bit later, mm-hmm. that the plane, f- quote-unquote, fell inside the Soviet border and that six crew members were killed. But they made no mention of the fate of the other five. Hmm. All 17 people aboard were killed, apparently, when the C-130 crashed. Eventually, the Soviets who denied that the plane had been shot down. They denied it. Oh. They would eventually would return six bodies to the U.S. authorities. A statement from the Kremlin said, quote, The Soviet people understand the sufferings of the American citizens who have lost relatives and close friends, but it is not the Soviet Union that should be asked to reply to these people. We recommend asking those who gave the order to the United States plane to violate the border of the Soviet Union. Mm. They, and only they, are responsible so we were in for the plane's airspace? catastrophe, unquote. Yeah, so okay. they deny they shot it down, but... I, sounds like they did. <laughs> it sounds like they made us shot it down. Yeah. Bruh. Well, they pretty much just said, you know. Yeah, and it sounds like they didn't ever find the rest of the people on board. There was so and then at this time to kind of paint the picture of September nineteen fifty eight mm-hmm. as more formerly racial racially segregated school districts in the US had all kinds of horrible reactions to integration. One school district in Fulton County, Kentucky Mm-hmm. Or maybe just Fulton, Kentucky. I'm not, I'm, I just added the word county for some reason. One school district in Fulton, Kentucky, peacefully enrolled 20 African-American students to join the 161 white students at the small town's high school after the town's mayor worked with local churches and other agencies to prepare the transition. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the school board of Arlington County, Virginia, refused to allow 30 black students to be admitted to white-only schools. And Arkansas Governor Orville E. Faubus, just sounds like an asshole, declared that he would close all schools before allowing racial integration. Like he had the power to do that. He did. He did. He did. Yeah, he closed the schools rather than allow. If you're going to be integrated, nobody goes to school. That's a public pool thing. Same thing. Yeah, they they closed the pool. Yeah, I guess they had the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, According to the New York Times, I couldn't find much about this, just a little blurb. I Googled this guy's name. I found him on LinkedIn, but I don't think it's the same guy. But according to the New York Times, a man in Old Bridge Township, New Jersey, narrowly avoided death when a 70-pound block of ice crashed through the roof of his house and and through his kitchen ceiling. Oh, my God. Dominic. You found this guy on LinkedIn? (laughs) I I Googled Dominic Basigalupo. Which can't, there can't be that many Dominic Basilagupos. Did, did you try to contact him? Uh, well, I Googled that name and his, a LinkedIn profile with his name came up first. So I didn't look at it. So oh, my God. I doubt, this was in 1958. There's no way this guy's on LinkedIn. It, may, it might be his son, though, or something. Dominic Basigalupo reported that he had left the kitchen seconds earlier after preparing coffee to watch a 9 p.m. TV program with his wife. The cake of ice had apparently fallen from an airplane. Oh, my God. What a... What are the chances of that? I know it. And he's lucky to be alive because it would have killed him. Yeah. If he hadn't gone to watch TV with his wife. See, honey? Whatever. See? See? Every time that I tell you, uh, let's watch a program. The problem is you pick dumb programs. No, you do. always murder programs. You're always wanting wrestling. Ted Lasso. Oops. Excuse me. I've offered Ted Lasso. Yeah, I know. It's the best show on television, bruh. I think we need to watch that jury duty show. I saw this TikTok today, and I'm just going to paraphrase it really quick. 
This guy is talking to his dad. His dad's got like a mullet. He's like a heavy, long-haired guy sitting in a truck. He's like, Dad, remember when Buffy the Vampire Slayer saved our lives? He's like, yeah. And he proceeds to tell a story. Basically, there's a tornado, and everybody in the family went down to their tornado shelter underground, and he refused to go. He's like, nope, I'm watching Buffy. So he watched Buffy while everyone else is scared of this tornado. And when he was done watching Buffy, he realized that a tree had gotten uprooted by the tornado and fell over the door to the shelter. Oh, so shit. So nobody could get out. So he, if he would have been in there with them, he Yeah, they had been all trapped. been trapped and they would have died. But he got them out when oh Buffy goodness. was over. So Buffy the Vampire saved their life. That's that was on TikTok. Funny. I can't remember their name, but that reminds me of this, that, that ice thing. Yeah. If he hadn't watched TV. That's right. Uh, according to the New York Times... Uh, the ice was cold. All right. I'm glad <laughs> so, that added know, that sorry. in. <laughs> yeah. September 6, 1958 was a uh, Saturday. Mm-hmm. And we have our first birthday. And this is a superstar. Just real quick. Yeah. Before we move on. Before we start the theme song, the birthday theme song. I just, I can't, I just think how funny if that really is that Dominic guy on LinkedIn. And if that really is the same person, and you were to contact him and say, "I'm doing a podcast, and I heard about this weird thing maybe that happened to you in 1958," and like maybe we could get him on there, he'd blow his mind. He'd be like, "How do you know this happened to me? <laughs> How in the world did this one little thing in the New York Times in 1958?" If he was in 1958, the see the youngest he could possibly be where he's married is probably what 18. 1958, you're 18. How old are you now? Do the math. I'm not doing no math on this show. So don't ask me. How many years ago was 1958? How about that? That's math. <laughs> There's math involved in that. I have math phobia. Well, you think about the people that are born right now that we're talking about. It's their birthday. Like the next birthday I'm about to tell you is Jeff Foxworthy. How old is Jeff Foxworthy? Oh, well, they're not that old. That's big mom. So it's 18 years older than Jeff Foxworthy is. These people are younger than our parents. Yeah, but 18 years to that. What? Oh, that's true. So it would be somebody born in... 40-something. 50. Uh, 40. 1940. Yeah. How old would they be today? So All right, this is bad podcasting. We're moving on. This is great podcast. No, okay, here's Dominic Bagacalupo. He's a systems and engineering, engineering manager in Australia. And this guy was in New Jersey. So, so this no. definitely would have to be the guy's son. He was if, born in if, 1940. You'd be my dad's age. My dad would be in his 80s now. So... Um. Should I just message him and say, are you related to, I mean, this guy's in Australia. Like, what are the chances? I know. That's true. Should I message him? No. Number six, Jeff Foxworthy was born in Atlanta. Okay. Uh, he's the first of three children. Carol, Linda, and IBM executive Jimmy Abstance Foxworthy. I don't know if you know this, but according to uh, Atlanta, oh. Jeff Foxworthy grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition. Does that surprise you? Not at all. He remembers accepting Jesus Christ when he was seven years old. And Jesus told him, you might be a redneck if. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, he told his at mother. At age seven, definitely at old age enough seven, to know what a redneck what is. you believe about 
the universe. Well, he said he told his mother he wanted to go down to the local sanctuary to accept Christ as his Lord and Savior. But his mother said he was too young and told him to wait till, wait till you have a firmer understanding of the undertaking. That's smart. But he argued with her until a preacher came to their home and vouched for Foxworthy and went back to the church that night of with his mother. Of course the preacher did. Yeah, of course he did. Probably wanted to get him alone. Oh, yeah, that's a, right. A lot of uh, pastors uh, rape children. Yes. Um, Little known fact. A lot. In fact, more uh, pastors and religions rape children than drag queens, I'd say. I'd say, yeah. Probably. I don't know. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. My God, did you see the Southern Baptist Convention? They, oh, yeah. There's like 600 cases of... Well, I think it's it's hard to compare the two because people go into religion to hide their right. raping. Yeah. <laughs> and drag queens are just... Awesome people are having a great time and expressing themselves on a cool. Well, and not only way. that, somebody had a good point on on TikTok. It's just to distract you. It's just to get you distracted what, and hate people. What, somebody had a really good point on TikTok. Yeah, the drag queens, the amount of clothing that those drag queens are wearing, <laughs> yeah, if yeah. they were trying to molest a child <laughs> yeah. to get those clothes off, right. you got about a good three hours. And they'd be covered in glitter. And, and like you would know, the they would be covered in it glitter. Covered. I think that was. Uh, Covered in glitter. I saw that TikTok. I can't remember who said that. It was, it was a comedian, I think. It's funny. Damn, I can't remember who it was. Uh, anyway, so we're not claiming that joke is ours. That's no. from a comedian somewhere on TikTok. It was so. funny, though. Uh, it was funny. Yeah, they'd be covered in glitter, first of all. Uh, anyway, Jeff Foxworthy went to Georgia Institute of Technology, uh, but he left before graduating, and he worked at IBM with his father for a little bit before he entered and won the Great Southeastern Laugh-Off at Atlanta's Punchline Comedy Club in 1984. And from then on, he said, you might be a redneck if, and they just talked about rednecks yep. for the rest of his time. And then on September 9th, I bet which, he's so sick of that shtick. I bet he's just like, God, if I have to fucking yeah, do the redneck thing do one it. more time, that's the thing that's you, all people want from him. You get famous for one thing, and they just want that one thing. Yeah, he's like can't do Bart Simpson. I, mean, I didn't do it. Remember yeah. That? Yeah. It's the I didn't do it, kid. There's a local Charlotte comedian that did a, he did a TikTok that went viral, and he was like, he's just reacting to other people's TikToks, but he's like acting like an old man, like, Lord it's, have mercy, looking out the window at it. Like, now it's, and everybody it's, loved that one thing, so now he does he that. does that. About everything, and now he's got a tour. Like he's on tour. Like he is it funny? He was a local comedian. That's kind of funny, but he's actually a good comedian. He's a clean comedian. He's funny. Yeah, but he's he went from nobody knowing who he is, like doing being doing our comedy festival, to a tour across the country, across the country. And he's got all these people that love it because they love that TikTok so much. He's famous. Yeah, right now. Maybe he'll be able to keep it. But Hmm. his name's Christian Johnson. He's he's actually a good, great guy. He's funny. Tuesday, September 9th, 1958, continuing the plane crashes uh, in August and September of 1958. Plane crash months. The crash of a flying Tiger Line cargo plane, a Lockheed L-1049 Super Constellation, killed all eight people on board. The chartered freight carrier was delivering supplies to Tokyo from Travis Air Force Base in the U.S. and crashed into the side of Mount Oyama. Man. Maybe aliens were just like interfering with all these planes. Or maybe it was 1958 and people weren't good at flying yet. I think that's the case. You think that's it? Yeah. Monday, the 15th of September, according to the Newark Star Ledger, a train accident killed 48 people near Bayonne, New Jersey, after two locomotives and two passenger cars of the Central Railroad of New Jersey's 
Train number 3314 derailed and slid off of an open drawbridge and into oh Newark gosh. Bay. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, into the bay. Oh, my God. The locomotive crew <coughs> passed through warning signals toward the visible gap left by the open bridge, which had parted to allow a ship to pass beneath without attempting to stop. An autopsy showed that the train engineer had died from a heart attack rather than from injuries or drowning, but it was unclear why the firemen on board did not attempt to stop the train. Engine 1532 was also equipped with safety devices that had not been activated. So do you think maybe just they saw the drawbridge open and they were just like, let's go for it? No. No? They just, somebody had a heart attack? Like the, I don't know what happened. Yeah. Somebody we'll never was know. cuckoo, bananas. We'll never somebody know Somebody was hopped up on goofballs. Hopped up on goofballs, possibly? Or they if he died, the train engineer died, and so maybe the fire guys or whatever were trying to revive him. Mm-hmm. And maybe they were giving him mouth-to-mouth, and then one thing led to another, and... He woke up and then he realized, oh my gosh, this is like a romantic moment between us. You saved me. And then they all just started making sweet, sweet love and no, no care in the not, world no. for anything. I'm, I'm not, I'm anything could have happened. No. It's not beyond the realm of possibility. Well, we will never know. Well, did you know that on September 20th, 1958, that Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, survived an assassination attempt? Um trying to think if I knew that. And it was not um, a race, a white racist person. Really? And it was not a gunshot. Let me tell you about it. Tell me. Uh, the attempted assassin was Isola Curry, an African-American woman that attempted to assassinate Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, by stabbing him with a letter opener. What did she... What was her beef? Yeah, so... Uh, let me tell you about it. So let's go back to Zola Curry first. Let's talk about her a little bit. Her, she was one of eight children born to sharecroppers in 1916 near Adrian, Georgia, a city about 100 miles northwest of Savannah, where you and I have been. Right. She left school in the seventh grade and later married a man named James Curry when she was 21. But the couple separated about six months later, and Zola moved to New York City where she found work as a housekeeper. But after moving to New York, she began to suffer delusions and schizophrenia particularly about the National Association for the Advancement of Color People. This contributed to employment difficulties, and she bounced around various locations and jobs before returning to New York in late 1958. Soon after the publication of Martin Luther King Jr.'s book in 1958, Stride Toward Freedom, King embarked on a promotional tour. On this date, September 20th, Curry approached him while he was signing books at Blumstein's department store in Harlem. And she inquired as to whether or not he was Martin Luther King Jr. When he said yes, she plunged a letter opener into his chest. Oh, my God. According to Ernie Suggs of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, it was so close to his aorta yeah. that if he had sneezed, oh God. he would have it would have punctured his aorta. What would have he, happened if he would have farted? And he would have died. If he would have farted, it would have been fine, okay. unless it was a shart. That would have... Got it. That would have also... Oh if God. he would have sharted or sneezed. A decade later... On April 3rd, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, recalled the attack in his I've Been to the Mountaintop speech, so you have yeah. to go listen to that. Anyway, Curry was grabbed and detained by an advertising manager 
for the well-known black newspaper, the Amsterdam News. Good for him. And then Al Howard and Philip Romano of the New York City Police Department, they came on the scene and they took immediate action because a bystander was about to help by removing the letter opener from his chest. But the oh, officers God. were like, no, 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 no. no. That, yeah. yeah, that's dangerous. Do not remove a letter opener. You dumb idiot bystander. You fucking stupid idiot. Asshole bystander. And then uh, they dialed Harlem Hospital to consult with the medical staff about how to safely remove King from the store without running the risk of the knife being God, jolted. Can you imagine, like, so they had to like hold it in place and, and be walk careful. around. And you have, can you yeah. imagine having a letter opener in your chest? And, and you have to like, keep it there. Walk yeah. Around with it on, oh, God. Anyway, uh, Officer Howard used some uh, clever deception in telling the big audience gathered there that Dr. King would be brought to a an ambulance arriving at the front of the store, and they went out a different way, I think. Uh, careful surgery was required to remove the blade. King wrote in his posthumously published autobiography that he was told that that the razor tip of the inst- instrument uh, had been touching his aorta, oh and that his whole chest had to be opened to extract it. Oh. And Dr. Maynard, who removed it, I guess, told him, if you had sneezed all those hours of waiting, your aorta would have been punctured and you would have drowned in your own blood. Oh, God. Can you imagine? Just sneezing. Oh, Jesus. I sneeze all the fucking time, man. And fart. Oh, I, you don't have to mention that to the listeners. They don't want to know <laughs> that. That's TMI. TMI, baby. To our goddamn listeners. No offense, listeners. Uh, while he was still in the hospital uh, on September 30th, King issued a press release in which he reaffirmed his belief in the redemptive power of nonviolence, and he issued a hopeful statement about his attacker. I'm such a good man. He said, I felt no ill will towards Ms. Mrs. Isola Curry and know that she that the thoughtful people will do all in their power to see that she gets the help she apparently needs if she's to become a free and constructive member of society. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, how about that? Somebody doesn't even wow. hold ill will towards somebody trying to kill him. I know it. But apparently at the time of the attack, Curry was also carrying a loaded pistol hidden inside her bra. Oh. So afterwards, a psychiatrist diagnosed Curry as a paranoid schizophrenic, uh, also reporting that she had an IQ of 70. It was in a severe state of insanity. Uh, She was found incapable of understanding the charge against her later uh, the next month and was committed to a state hospital for the criminally insane. Uh after 14 years at that state hospital, uh, she was transferred to the Manhattan Psychiatric Center on Wards Island in Upper Manhattan and then to a residential care program in Rosedale, Queens. After a fall resulting in a leg injury, she was placed in Jamaica, Queens at a nursing home where she resided until her death. She died of natural causes at age 98, I think. I mean, can you imagine working in that nursing home and just yeah, knowing that lady, oh, that lady tried to kill? Martin and she King. probably didn't talk much or even tell anybody that, but... I heard she tried to kill MLK. Uh, yeah, that would be crazy. And on that same day, there was a crash in an air show uh, of the of the prototype of an Avro Vulcan fighter jet, and it killed seven people. All four of the crew died, in addition to three people watching from the ground in Nottinghamshire, England. Mm-hmm. Another plane crash. Mm-hmm. And then on Monday, mm-hmm. September 22nd, 1958, with all four of its public high schools closed by order of Governor Orville Faubus, the school board of Little Rock, Arkansas, transferred its classes to the city's three television stations. So they just did TV learning. Since each oh. station's two-hour programming block was confined to a single high school grade, 10th, 11th, or 12th, the city's white and African-American high school students had the same instructors. 
For the first time. For the first time ever. Yeah. And also on September 22nd, that Monday, mm-hmm. we have another birthday. Amy, Amy hates birthdays. Amy hates birthdays. See if you can guess who this is. Think about the age now, okay? Okay. Joan Marie Larkin was born on September 22nd, 1958, to James and Dorothy Larkin uh, in Wynwood, Pennsylvania, a suburb of Philly. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, some people will say her birth date was September 22nd, 1960. That's incorrect. She's the oldest of three children. Her father was an insurance salesman and her mother was a secretary. Her family was Protestant. I don't know why that matters. Her family moved to Rockville, Maryland, where she attended Rockville, Maryland, where she attended Randolph Junior High and Wheaton High School, Crimson and Gold, home of the Knights. She went to school with Deborah Monk from New York uh, can NYPD. Can you tell Blue. me something useful, yes, please? Yes, I'm about to. She got her first guitar at the age of 13. Is it Joan Baez? Oh, you're close. She took some guitar lessons, but soon quit because the instructor kept trying to teach her folk songs. So not Joan Baez. Did Joan not like folk Jett. songs. Yes, Joan Jets. Right. Her family then moved to California, Los Angeles County, providing Jet the opportunity to pursue her musical interests. Shortly after the move, her parents divorced, and she changed her name to Joan Jet right. because she thought it had more of a rock star sound than her birth name. Right, Joan Larkin. She's right. And she had told people that Jet was her mother's maiden name, but uh, it wasn't. She just made that up. She wouldn't be that lucky. Do you think you'd like to hang out with Joan Jet? Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool to see if she could just hang out with us? At All her right. house. We're moving on. Oh, hate Joan Jett now. No, we're, we're anyway, just moving on. Uh, September 25th, 1958, it was a Thursday. Um, the U.S. television network CBS, mm-hmm. as part of its Playhouse 90 anthology program, it telecast a made-for-TV play, The Plot to Kill Stalin, and it prompted an angry response from the Soviet Union, which ordered CBS to close its Moscow news bureau and expelled its journalists from the country. The international incident was a result of the depiction in this play of the Soviet premier Nikita Khrushchev in the play and the suggestion that he had been part of a plot to kill Stalin. They were all pissed. It was an international incident. Boom. So, can't do that. Nope. And then we moved to Saturday, September 27th, and a special referendum in Little Rock, Arkansas, where most of the registered voters were white, a proposal to reopen the city's four high schools, on a desegregated base basis, was overwhelmingly rejected, Ugh. with only seven thousand five hundred sixty-five for and nineteen thousand plus against. The city's all-white voting precincts were heavily against integration, while predominantly black precincts were in favor. And then that brings us to October. Uh, and you got yours is Halloween, right? Yeah, October fifth. The Clinton High School, Clinton High School in the U.S., formerly all-white school in Clinton, Tennessee, that admitted twelve African American students in 1956, mm-hmm. was heavily damaged by a series of dynamite explosions, apparently placed by opponents of racial desegregation. God, nobody was injured in the blast, but the Thank school God. sustained three hundred thousand dollars worth of damages, equivalent to three million dollars. Yeah, now you know, wow. sixty years later. Um. Isn't that crazy? Like yes. you'd rather blow up. The, yeah. It's just like you can't even fathom the racism in that. So it's so awful, you know. 
and just a few days after Joan Jett was born, we have another birthday. And this is a great birthday. You'll be excited about it. This is somebody I've met. I, I can't remember if you met him or not, but you would want to meet him. in Manhattan as a second of three children into a family living in the Bronx. Born to his African-American father, Cyril deGrasse Tyson. Uh, <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson? Who was a sociologist. I knew, I kind of knew when you said that, I, you met him, I was like, yeah, this is Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. Uh, his dad was a sociologist and human resource commissioner for the New York City Mayor John Lindsay. Uh, and he was the first director of Harlem Youth Opportunities Unlimited. And his mother, Sonchita Maria Tyson, uh, was a gerontologist for the U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Welfare. And she's of Puerto Rican descent. I did not realize that. Oh. Uh, he has two siblings. The middle name DeGrasse is from the maiden name of his paternal grandmother, uh, who was born in the West Indies, island of Nevis. Anyway, he grew up in Castle Hill in the Bronx and later Riverdale, and he attended... Uh, the Bronx High School of Science graduated in 1976. Team colors are green, gold, and the Wolverines. No, stop it. Notable alumni include John Cryer, but nope. he was a wrestler. Neil deGrasse Tyson was a wrestler in high school. Okay. Did you know that? No. Yeah, he was captain of the wrestling team. Now you know all this stuff. Now next time you see him, you're going to be able to tell Oh, my him God. All. I'm going to be like, dude, you Wolverine, you're green and gold Wolverine, captain of the wrestling team. I think I already knew he was on the wrestling team. I think he told me that. I spent two hours with him one time. We talked about everything. I know. That's but crazy. He, he wanted to talk the entire time about science. Like the whole time. He was like. I'd want to talk to him about God. Well, we did kind of. I mean, we talked about aliens. We talked about uh the afterlife, and I I was really, at that time, I was really convinced we were living in a simulation, so I was like, what can you convince me that? we're not living in a simulation? He's like, I, what I'll do is I'll give you an argument for and an argument against. And he talked for like 20 minutes on each Oh my time. God. Like, I mean, he's he's thought it all out. You know, he's, Here's why we are living in a simulation. This, this, this. Here's why we're not living in a simulation. Blah, 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 blah. So he didn't say he believes one way or the other, but he said, we could be. That's the sign of a good teacher. He didn't. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't throw his you. opinions at you. Yeah, he just he gives you both sides. The one thing he does say a lot, which a lot of people disagree with him and get upset with him, is that he's not convinced aliens have contacted you know any. You know that. I think he said all the evidence we've seen. He doesn't really believe, sort of thing. Oh, really. But I think mathematically he kind of says that. Well, I'm not going to get into what. You can look up what he thinks. Anyway, anyway he's born. He's great. Everybody loves Neil deGrasse Tyson. He went to the same school as John Cryer, which I don't think a lot of people know. Wednesday, October 8th, you're going to hate this part. The next few things are going to be the rest of October of 1958 is World Series and the Pope. There's a Pope. There's oh. a lot of Pope stuff, and I only include it because I'm fascinated, but also don't understand the whole process of Pope. Picking up Pope. Popedom, yeah. So maybe you can help explain what you've heard over the years, over your old age years. Wednesday, October 8th, the New York Yankees, who had lost three of the first four games of the World Series, then won game five. And they forced a seventh game in the best of seven championship. Uh, the Milwaukee Braves, defending champions of Major League Baseball, had a two to one lead after five innings before the Yankees scored. Leaving the score tied two to two after nine innings. In the 10th inning, the Yankees scored two runs on Gil McDougald's homer for a 4-2 lead. Whoa. The Braves then scored a run, and with two outs, still had the potential 
tying run on third base with another runner on first base. Frank Torrey hit to right field, but McDougald, the Yankees second baseman and the hero parent because of his homer, tore back on the grass. He leaped high in the air and pulled down the ball, which suddenly had lost its height momentum for the third out. Just put him on the pan. Okay, yeah, put him on the pan. And then Thursday, October 9th, 1958, Pope Pius XII was born. Mm-hmm. No, he wasn't born on this day, he was, but he was he born. Made Pope. Yeah, he was born as Eugenio Pacelli, and he was a Roman Catholic pontiff since 1939. He died on October 9th oh. at the age of 82 after a reign of 19 years. Oh, yeah. The Pope had su- suffered a sudden stroke three days earlier. The official announcement from Castle Gandolfo in the Vatican stated, The Supreme Pontiff Pope Pius XII is dead. Pius XII, the most esteemed and venerated man in the world, one of the greatest pontiffs of the century, with sanctity, passed away at 3.52 a.m. on October 9, 1958. Cardinal Aloisi Masella was elected by the Cardinals present as the Camerlengo, or Chamberlain, to administer church affairs until a new pope could be elected. So I guess some of the things I don't understand is you have to have a pope at all times. Like somebody's so. got to be immediately. I don't. Don't ask me. And why? Like why is the pope? What's the pope deal? You, you're asking the wrong person. And then the whole like smoke signals and all right. this stuff to I pick know. a pope. Like what's happening behind closed doors? I feel like it's Illuminati stuff kind of. Yeah, it kind of is a little bit. Is it? I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I don't know what they do really except people just are can't believe these people. They love them so much. Anyway, the day the Pope died, the New York Yankees won the World Series in Game 7, uh, defeating the Milwaukee Braves, who are no longer in Milwaukee. Do you know where they are now? Um, Atlanta. Yes. Do you know wh- what Milwaukee's team is now? Brewers. Wow, you are a baseball aficionado. How do you know that? I probably could have. It would have just as easily said a football team, probably. Name every baseball team. No, let's move on. Name every baseball player. Okay. Uh, anyway, they defeated the Brewers uh, after seven innings. Oh, the game had been tied after seven innings, but in the eighth with two outs, Yogi Berra scored a run for the Yankees, and Bill Scourin hit a home run with men on first and second. The base uh, on first and second base drove in three more runs. Anyway, uh, and that's the same. That also that same day, the Pope died. Where World Series ended, and all nineteen U.S. Air Force personnel on a transport plane were killed, including five pilots on the U.S. of the U.S. Air Force. Jeez, uh, they were from the Thunderbirds Air Show team, and the aircraft had flown into a flock of geese and went down oh. near the town of Payette, Idaho. Yikes! That's Jeez. not the first time that's happened. I want to say, or maybe of hitting chronologically. A flock of geese? I feel like you've talked about a, something like that happening before. But geese are a nuisance. Yeah, I wonder. Are they helpful at all? I wonder in society. Sure. In what way? They do something. They do. They sure fill a lot of places with goose poop. And you're a fan of goose. If you're a goose poop collector, then you're in. You're a fan I'm of geese. Giggity. And then Sunday, October twelfth, nineteen fifty-eight. A dynamic bomb charge wrecked one of Atlanta's largest synagogues, the Hebrew Benevolent Congregation Temple, after Rabbi Jacob Rothschild had lobbied for racial equality in Atlanta. 
Aww. The next day, five suspects were arrested and indicted at the end of the week, one of whom confessed and implicated the anti-Semitic and racist National States Rights Party. The suspect would later retract his confession and be acquitted after two trials. And nobody would ever be convicted of this bombing. Oh, my God. Which took place days after the bombing of the Clinton High School in Tennessee. You know it was the You know he did it, yeah. but because it's 1958 and you're a racist white asshole, yeah. no consequences. And that same day there was a total eclipse of the sun. Uh, it became the first to be observed and studied by Earth rockets. As a U.S. Navy ship fired eight rockets equipped with cameras and other instruments, and the area over which the eclipse was visible from Earth was limited to a few islands in the South Pacific Ocean and the South American nation of Chile. The rocket test confirmed that disruption of Earth's ionosphere and radio communications came from X-radiation from the corona of the sun and that ultraviolet radiation originated from the chromosphere of the sun. So they were learning stuff from this. Oh, okay. Doing this, yeah. And I bet the President of the United States didn't stare directly into it. Yeah. And then Monday, October 13th, Harold H. Burton, an Associate Justice associate justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, since being appointed by U.S. President Harry S. Truman in 1945, resigned from his seat with regret, but in accordance with competent medical advice and with a desire to serve the best interests of all concerned. Oh, what, what was wrong with him? I think he had a... He had a Health, like he was, I don't know, oh, health issues. But Harold, see, I was interested in this because it's the Supreme Court. So, like, I was trying to figure out what. Uh, but it didn't. It said he like, was. A, they, if he wasn't a justice of the Supreme Court. He was an associate justice, so which said, I don't know what that really means. He's probably below the justices. But they said that he was. He had to be replaced. He had to be. Anyway, Potter Stewart, a judge of the U.S. Sixth. Circuit Court of Appeals in Cincinnati, Ohio, was nominated by President Eisenhower, oh. subject to co- confirmation by the U.S. Senate to replace Burton. Hmm. So, yeah, I guess, what's the difference between... An associate justice and a regular one? Because then it says on Tuesday, October 14th, Potter Stewart was sworn in as the 92nd Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, oh. effective immediately after Eisenhower nominated, nominated him. Okay. So it was... Who knows? Was Potter Stewart Republican or Democrat? That's what we need to know. Well, Eisenhower was a Republican. Yeah, Harold Burton was a Republican. So, but that was back when Republicans were a okay. Stand up. Yeah, Eisenhower was a great president. He had, he founded the interstate system. Yeah, Potter Stewart was a nominal Republican at the time his judicial career began, but overall he was a moderate justice, splitting his votes evenly between conservative and liberal colleagues which is how it should be right you should be in the middle not extreme on one side or the other i know unless you're a drag queen then you should be allowed to be <laughs> can a you imagine court. a drag queen what if the supreme court justices from now on had to be drag queens that would be awesome oh my god oh, they'd te- they'd that have, solves everything they'd have to televise it too because oh yeah to listen to the sassy <laughs> work it the sassy uh repertoire I'm gonna, this, I'm gonna patent that idea. So this has been said on American Home. That's a patent. That's gonna be a. Sh- um, I'm gonna create a universe, a, a television so universe. Drag queens are p- a Supreme show. Court justices. Drag queens are the Supreme Court justices. And it's they, a universe. And they try. Country. And you give them like the, the same cases that the real Supreme Court yeah, gets. It's exactly the same. Except you, the only difference they is they are they are are drag queens, and there might be some dancing involved and some right. some working it. 
All right, moving on. Ah, I'm not going to let go of that idea. Drag queens in the Supreme Court. There's got to be something to do with that. Uh, f- at Friday, October 17th, an evening with Fred Astaire, the first television presentation to be recorded on color videotape as opposed to film, was broadcast live on NBC in the U.S. as Astaire's first ever appearance on live television. The one-hour show was critically acclaimed with one commentator opining that Mr. Astaire and his colleagues have set a new standard for musical TV. By this time, Western Union should be limp from delivering congratulatory wires. Good Lord. <laughs> that's one way to put it. Yeah, that's one way to put it. Oh, man. And then back to awful hate news. Monday, October 20th, the Little Rock Private School Corporation. Yeah, that right there. Set we up by white bad. supporters of yeah. racial segregation after Arkansas Governor Orville E. Falbus had ordered the closing of the four high schools, began classes for all 12th grade students at the Arkansas Capitol, <laughs> Capitol's three white high schools. Well, you know what? That's what they're trying to do now, don't you? Yeah, the private Little Rock High School they, the pri- didn't have to allow black to, people. That's right? what school vouchers, they're, yeah. they're trying to ban privat- anybody privatize else. all education so yeah. they don't have to do anything. They don't have to follow any rules. That's right, and they can resegregate. Yeah, so this is what they, they their whole big plan was. That's right. Let's just do a private high school so we don't have to do anything. It was sponsored by several local Baptist churches. Of course. Uh, and the Oichita Baptist College. Uh yeah, and so classes were not available for African-American students. Of course not. Nor for children of any race from first grade to ninth grade, apparently. It's only high school. high school or 10th to 12th, I guess. Anyway, and then two days later on Wednesday, October 22nd, after the school board of Norfolk, Norfolk, Norfolk Virginia, I can't Good say that. Lord, you had a stroke just now. After the school board of Norfolk Say School Board of Norfolk, Virginia. You say School Board of Norfolk, Virginia. Oh, you said it pretty good. After they closed their public schools, in, instead of carrying out a federal court order to admit African-American students mm-hmm. into all white Norfolk schools, the Tidewater Academy was open for 250 white students yeah. with funding provided by private defenders of state sovereignty and individual liberties organization and classes meeting at local churches. It's happening again. I'm telling you, it's, yeah. it's it going to be the itself. same Isn't it crazy? Playbook. The same It just repeats playbook. itself. The hate, the hate, the hate, and yep. these haters are on the wrong side of history. And they're going to try to And they to just keep doing it again. Yep. Ugh, so gross. It really is gross. It really is. I, it's I have like, no and how can you not see that you're on the wrong side of history? These I people? know when you are the same side as Nazis. Hello. Yeah, when does it wake up? That, oh, maybe and, and I'm wrong. And white supremacists, you share their views. You know what they need to do is they need to take a look in the mirror. Because I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. No message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better That's place, enough. That's enough. You're being indulgent. And make You're being that. self-indulgent. I am. Yes. Thursday, October 23rd, 1958. Mm-hmm. This one is a fun one. I think we alluded to this in our first season okay. on American Let's Timeline, hear it. possibly. Maybe the second season. Let's hear it. Comic book writer and artist Pierre Cudiford, who uses the pen name Peo to sign his comic strip, uh, and the comic strip's name is... Johan and Peewit <laughs> in the weekly comic book magazine Le Journal de Spirou. This guy introduced a blue-skinned character in white clothes, which he called a strumpf. S-C-H-T-R-O-U-M-P-F, a strumpf. 
In the course of the serialized story, La Flute à Six Trou, the flute with six holes, mm-hmm. Johan and Peewit found that a magic flute they were searching for was in the possession of a colony of strumpfs. I don't know what you're talking Adventures about. Adventures of the strumpfs. They were blue characters with white hats and white clothes. Adventures of the Strumpfs right, became you've more been talking for a long time. Listen, it became more popular than Johan and the Peewit series at all. Like so they invented these characters and they were so popular that they soon received their own series in 1959, a series of comics about these blue characters called Strumpfs. And along with promotions for the merchandising of Strumpfs, in the Flemish and Dutch language translation of the comic, Le Strumpfs was dubbed De Smurfin. Oh. And in 1973 would be introduced as the Smurfs. Mm-hmm. 1973. And it's 1958 the Smurfs were invented. I had no idea. It's now a worldwide franchise. Wow. I didn't know it was that old. I mean, maybe I knew that. Uh-oh. Something's gone Dogs wrong. are going Something's gone wrong. crazy. But don't you remember we talked about this like, like in an 80s episode like when we talked about the Smurfs debuting? Yes, I think so. But I don't know if you can see what they used to look like. They used to look way different. I thought, but when I Googled it, they're only moderately different. But if I put in 1958, Strumpfs. Yeah, I guess they're just a little different. But Smurfs, we're all, we all go all the way back to 1958. The Strumpfs. All right. Uh, I love that. I don't know why you don't love it more. It's wonderful. You it's just, you've <laughs> rattled on about it for quite some time. Whoa! Now. This is a Strumpf's podcast. No, it's not. October 24th, 1958, was a Friday. The 52 members of the Roman Catholic Church's College of Cardinals, having come to Italy from 20 nations, entered the Sistine Chapel for the first papal election in more than 19 years to stay inside behind closed doors until a new pontiff could be selected. For the first time, cardinals from African nations as well as from China, Australia, and India were present. Good. Along with those from the Latin American nations of Chile, Colombia, Cuba, and Ecuador. So they all go behind closed doors, and they can't come out until they pick, until they pick a pope, and then they only signify it by blowing smoke out of a thing, yeah. right? What do you think happens in those conversations? It's just like, do people, are they nominating people? Or are they just I'm arguing? sure there's a lot of, there's, I'm sure there's a lot there's of a politicking going politicking, on. Politicking, yes. I'm sure of it. You think we could find a guest to be on our podcast that's been behind those closed doors? I don't think. No. All right, let's move on. My Uncle Gary probably knows. He's like almost a pope. No, he's not. He's close to a pope. He's a bishop. He's a dang bishop. He's not even Catholic. Well, he's Episcopalian. Same thing. Mm -mm. Ralphie, do not go potty over there. All right. Okay. We're almost to your thing. October 26th, the first round of balloting took place in the voting of the College of Cardinals for a new pope. I guess we don't have to get no, through all this. I just on. put it in here because I was like, I was hoping you'd explain it to me. I'm so. All right, I'm not going to, it. so we're moving on. Okay. Anyway, they narrowed it down to three Italian potential popes. And Monday, October 27th, oh man, what if the popes and the Supreme Court were drag queens? That would be pretty awesome. Every pope from now on has to be a drag queen. <laughs> Every they kind of are already. The popes are already yeah, drag queens. They kind of are. They're kind of really? in drag. Yeah, yes, it's pretty fancy. I know it's pretty darn ornate. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. And that hat. Come on, the hat. Yeah, I guess they are drag queens. Shoot, festive. Huh. They are festive. They are fabulous popes. Yes. Anyway, on Monday, October twenty seventh, an explosion killed 
22 coal miners. Oh, what if coal miners were drag queens? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, this killed 22 coal miners at the Pocahontas Fuel Company's underground mine at Bishop, West Virginia, located near the border of the U.S. states of West Virginia and Virginia. Out of 188 miners, 166 were able to make it to safety. The disaster occurred during a change of shifts at the mines, killing eight miners who were preparing to leave and 14 who had just arrived. Uh, an accident at the same mine 18 months earlier had killed 37 employees. Mm. And then on October 28, 1958, uh, uh, I think they picked a new pope. That's <laughs> like a whole paragraph about, yeah, they, they finally picked somebody who received at least 35 votes, Cardinal Eugene Tisserant, uh, oh no, Ron Colley, they picked somebody named something, oh sorry, Angelo, Angelo Giuseppe Ron Colley was going to become the next Pope. All right. And then they had to pick a name and he was going to take the name John, Pope John, like that's not his name, that's not their names, they just pick a name. Well he was Pope John Paul, wasn't he? Uh... I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he became Pope, Pope John the 23rd. He was Pope since 1958? Yeah, he got Pope. He was he became Pope, I thought, in the 60s, but maybe I was wrong. Yeah, I don't know. And then they, they, there's like a method to why what name they pick and whatever, and I don't get any of that. And then, and then there's an anti-Pope. Uh, Baldassar Kosa was an anti-Pope? What's an anti-Pope? I have no idea. I gotta, we got to have my uncle on and see if he'll tell us all this. Okay. Anyway, yeah, like I said, he's a Episcopal, maybe he doesn't even F with any of that. Uh, on the same day the new pope was selected, the second coal mine disaster in two days in the U.S. state of West Virginia killed 13 miners at the Ogle Bay Norton Company mine near Summersville, West Virginia. Uh, and that same day, also, the co-pilot engineer of a Panagra Airlines DC-7 averted disaster to the 45 people on board by making a steep dive to avoid a collision with three U.S. Air Force planes at an altitude of 18,000 feet. The Panagra flight was traveling from New York to Miami with a final scheduled destination of Lima, Peru. It was over Wilmington, North Carolina, when the engineer spotted a refueling tanker and two USAF jets flying towards the plane. The pilot was talking to passengers in the cabin at the time. According to the engineer, the tanker cleared us over our left wing. Narrowly avoiding disaster there. Mm, so damn. maybe things will take a turn. And that brings us to Halloween, October 31st, 1958. That is my date of birth. I October got to the party and I did the Smurf. Oh, talk about the Smurfs. It's true. Full, Full circle. circle. And that's an ad rock. That's an ad rock line because ad rock was born on October 31st. You right. want to take a quick break yes, before we jump into this? I do. And eat some dinner. And I'm we'll come... come back and talk about the candlestick murder. Oh, we're going to talk about the candlestick murder. And when we come back, our bellies will be full. That's right. Hopefully. And our nipples will be hard. We'll be right back. Listen oh, to this ad for the Gruff and Loud Show on YouTube, the greatest YouTube series of all time. If you're a Gen Xer and you like stupid bullshit, you'll love the Gruff and Loud Show. Gruff is a tattooed stoner that has a raspy voice and loves to wear a bathrobe. And Loud is a loudmouth, bearded jackass who drinks craft beer. What they both love is falling down pop culture rabbit holes. They might talk about Stanley Tucci. 
and his infidelity. They might talk about David Letterman's stalker. They might play a game of F. Mirror Kill about Wilson Phillips. You never know what's going to happen. They might talk about local radio stations. There might be beer commercials inserted into the show. Random shit that's found on the internet that is ridiculous and stupid could be a part of the Gruff and Loud Show. Check out the Gruff and Loud Show on YouTube. Just Google Gruff and Loud Show. If you're a Gen X person, you'll probably love it. If you're a millennial, you might like it. If you're a Zoomer, you might like to make fun of us. If you're a Boomer, you might like it too. Surprisingly, my mom loves it. Check out the Gruff and Loud Show on YouTube. If you like pop culture and bullshit and weird shit you find on the internet, you will love the Gruff and Loud Show. It's only Each episode is only 10 minutes long because that's all our attention spans can handle. And we are back with American Timelines. Thank you for listening to that advertisement about Gruff and Loud Show, the greatest YouTube series of all time. The Gruff and Loud Show. Don't what do you say? You can't get enough of Gruff and Loud Show. Wait, that that sound doesn't sound so convincing. You love the Gruff and Loud Show. You it's can't a lot it. of focus on He Man. <laughs> well, okay, we did do several episodes about He Man, yeah. so those aren't the best episodes. But we did a watch along with He Man. So if you like He Man, you love it. All right, I'm going to tell you <laughs> about the candlestick murder. The candlestick murder. Yes. Oh, my God. What could this possibly be? I have no idea. I know it happens on Halloween, and I know there's probably a candlestick involved. That's all I can guess, and I hope there's no rape. Is this a rape-free episode? Rape-free! Rape-free! This episode of American Timelines is rape-free. Rape-free. It is rape-free. All right. My main sources was um, the Box Turtle Bulletin. They had a, a page called The Daily Agenda, Friday, November 11th. Okay, there is a box turtle bulletin? That's yeah. a thing that exists? That's what it said. And I should get another beer for this, huh? CharlestonTerrors.com also had a um CharlestonTerrors.com. I'm going to get a beer, but you can just go ahead. You're going to miss the beginning. You no, won't know what's going on, and then you're going to come back and ask all these stupid questions. No, I'm going to keep my headphones on. I'm just going to get a beer. Oh, okay. All right. So Jack Dobbins was a 30-year-old chemical company executive who was murdered on Halloween night of 1958. He was bludgeoned to death with a brass candlestick. The murderer claims it was self-defense from unwanted advances. What happened in the first trial where gay panic was the defense strategy. Whoa, gay panic in 1958? Yes. So, Jack Dobbins... I didn't even think they talked about it then. I thought they just ignored it and pretended it didn't exist. Jack Dobbins was described as a... Will you stop doing that? It's ASMR. No, it is not. You're being real rude right now. I am? Yes. I'm sorry. You're not... You're very distracted. I'm listening. I'm listening. You said that Jack Dobbins... He was described as a stout, 5 foot, 10 inch tall, and 170 pounds. Wait a minute. This does not sound stout to me. I was going to say... In the 50s, it was. 5'8 and 170 is stout? I mean, the clothing... Vintage clothing from the 50s is... Tiny. People were just all tiny. They huh? were so tiny. Because I'm five eight, but I'm pushing two. Well, you're 20. stout. I'm stout, right? Yeah. I'm stout. That guy ain't stout. Your hand. There's your handle. There's your stout. Wait a minute. I don't know. That all hurt right. my feelings. I think. No, I'm kidding. I can't see my feet because my gut's so big. All right, listen. Um. So 
After buying candy for trick-or-treaters on his way home from work, he had dinner with his roommate, Edwin... Wait, 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 wait. Buying candy? He bought some candy to take... From? For, for, oh, for, for trick-or-treaters. Trick okay. Uh, sorry. I thought you said from... He was buying it from trick-or-treaters. Was it right. different then? He had sorry. dinner with his roommate, Edwin Ote, around 6 p.m. Okay. Ote was a 25-year-old medical student, and after they left their Queen Street house to head to a Halloween party at a friend's place. Okay. So they did that. Now that's what they went. Yeah, then the when roommate, young ten, roommates. 10 o'clock rolls around, uh, Dobbins leaves the party and goes out to Club 49, where he tends bar on Halloween night. Okay. So in 1958 America, it it was very different time, especially with the gay community, right? Okay. Oh, so this, these guys are gay. Yes. So this Club Forty Nine was yeah. was a under oh like a speakeasy like a secret gay yeah because you couldn't have an open gay club right but it was it had both straight and gay couples oh so the the straight so allies couples, allies go there the, the, the straight yeah the straight couples would would allow the bar to hide in plain sight though it did oh to make it to hide it sort yeah of, to make it seem. Because you would know right away mm, if you walk into right. the but Blue Oyster. It did um, market itself as the gayest place in town. So, <laughs> Oh, but gay didn't mean that then, right? right. Everybody said gay for happy then. So people, And back then people would lose their jobs if they were considered, you know, oh, quote yeah. unquote, abnormal tastes. Yeah, I bet. So that mix it in crowd helped yeah. with that. Okay. So um, That's interesting. I, I never... Thought about that. So friends would later state that Dobbins left the club after midnight. Okay. So then the next morning, the this is what the front page of Sunday's News and Courier bore shocking news to Charleston, South Carolina readers. Quote, oh, a 30-year-old Charleston South. chemical company executive was clubbed to death with a heavy brass candlestick in his Queen Street house sometime yesterday morning. A maid found Jack Dobbins' bloody and nude body on his living room sofa when she arrived oh, for, no. for work. A housemate, a young st student at the Medical College of South Carolina, was sound asleep upstairs. A young stout student. The paper described the scene. Dobbins' body lay on his side, fully outstretched on the sofa, the candlestick cradled between his crossed arms. Oh. The wall and sofa, in addition to the candlestick, showed bloodstains. A matching candle holder was in Dobbins' bedroom. The victim's underclothing lay on a nearby coffee table, and the remainder of his clothing was on an upstairs bedroom dresser. Oh, so he's naked. Yeah. Also on the coffee table were two highball glasses nearly full of bourbon, a package huh. of cigarettes, and a lighter. Huh. On a disc across the room stood a nearby empty bourbon bottle. And Doesn't so, that whole scene make you want to smoke? Yeah, uh, most things do. Uh, <laughs> um, most things in life do. Well, everything in life makes you just want to light up. You want to smoke something. All right. The, co the coroner said that Dobbin died between 2 a.m. and 7 a.m. after the nine consecutive hits to the back of his head. Yikes. He had a triple skull fracture and no defensive wounds. Yeah, nine consecutive. So isn't that, does that go along with the gunshots where they say if you strike somebody that many times, it's somebody you know and you hate? It's, you know, because like the gunshots, if you, if you shoot somebody 20 times, they say that's right. like rage. showing that. Uh, Passion or rage, or so something. nine times that counts, right? I that's would a say lot. that's a lot of bludgeoning, to beating somebody with a candle. Poor stick. guy, while he's naked. Except for the so, it sounds to me like I mean, maybe I'm maybe spoiler alert. Wait a minute, just let don't me don't say, don't yeah. any conjecture just what wait. I think it sounds like. Just wait. Okay. So, except for All the right. bloodstains on the wall and sofa, the apartment was neat and tidy. No violent struggle had occurred. In fact, the attack had come as a total surprise. Huh. Excuse me, the housemate. So no struggle. Yeah, the except that. And the housemate 
had heard nothing th- downstairs because he was upstairs in his bed sleeping, and the na- and neither had the neighbors. Um, the next day, an airman at Charleston Air Force Base, Airman Third Class John Joseph Mahone, was arrested and held and held pending further investigation. Hmm. According to his lawyer, Mahone surrendered upon having read of Dobbins' death. Mahone was charged on November 3rd with murder and held without bail just as Dobbins was being laid to rest in Spartanburg. So Dobbins, Spartanburg. who was a Korean War veteran, yeah, and he was continuing his education through the Army. He was very well liked in the neighborhood and very well regarded by his employer. Um, the, the, that his nude body was found on the sofa while his male housemates slept upstairs only began to set the stage. Okay. The brass candlestick was obviously not something that would be commonly found in a typical bachelor pad. But since it was the murder weapon, its presence could hardly be ignored. And so the candlestick loomed large in the story. It was this huge two-foot-tall thing, and it had carvings of the Virgin Mary and Jesus on the The candlestick did? Yes. But they said there was a matching candlestick in his bedroom, bedroom. right? Yes. And so at first the paper calls it the Halloween murder or the Queen Street murder, but before long it was the candlestick murder. Okay. But the report that appeared on November 3rd in the paper said... Ironically, Dobbins was very proud of the candlestick used to kill him. An acquaintance said Dobbins purchased a pair of antique holders at a candle shop last fall. And then a second article said he was an an admirer of fine paintings with a flair for artistic home furnishings. So he was always showing off these candlesticks. The tastefully appointed rooms in his quaint Queen Street house bear out his reported appreciation for artful furnishings. Okay. Basically. Like a a normal gay guy would be. Like they love antiques. Right. But they're kind of... Kind of talking about it, that he's gay without saying that he's oh, gay. Oh, that's the, it is their 50s way of saying gay. Yeah. He likes he decor loves and ar- fine art. Yes. And so um, this, then they they describe Mahone, the guy who killed him. Yeah, the guy who murdered him. That's... An 18-year-old boyish-looking airman, a clean-cut youth who stood 5 feet 6 and weighed about 135 pounds, the very picture of innocence. Oh. And that set up morality nicely, as Mahone's lawyers told reporters, the youth's actions were completely justifiable, and in self-defense, a complete statement will be given at the proper time. So then the trial began on December 9th. The defense attorney set the stage by asking Dobbins' housemate whether Dobbins ever had a girlfriend. Dobbins hadn't, as far as the roommate knew. All right, the maid was asked what color Dobbins' sheets were. They were lavender. <laughs> you get, That's another way of saying he's gay right. without saying he's gay. And what about lavender. visitors? Almost exclusively men, as far as she knew. Yeah. What relevance any of that had with the murder, nobody bothered to explain. No. Then the trial turned to what happened in the house that night. Two Air Force buddies testified that when Mahone returned to base, he gave two different stories. One version is oh, that okay. he struck Dobbins with the candlestick after Dobbins made improper advances. Yeah, right. He, uh, the, he at that stage, according to the testimony, became frightened and ran out the door. Yeah, then the no, other story was that he obtained the candlestick from Dobbins' room to protect himself. No, and that while he was upstairs, Dobbins put out the lights in the living room and then made advances toward the airman. That's not what happened. And at this point, he struck Dobbins with the candlestick, and Dobbins fell back on the couch but bounded to his feet, and the two struggled. Dobbins, 5 feet 10 and weighing, I said, 170, struck the airman two blows, according to the testimony, when the airman, weighing an estimated 130 pounds. Well, he's only 5'6", so the other guy does seem stout when you compare it to a a 5'6", 135-pound little guy. He punched Dobbins in the stomach, and he got a funny look on his face and went down. Mahone, according to that version, rifled his trouser pockets. So he robbed him. 
The two witnesses said that Mahone had returned to the base with money, a money clip, a cigarette lighter, Wait, a silver Ma- fingernail file, Mahone and other personal admitted, items. He admitted to yeah, robbing them? Yeah. But when Mahone took the stand, it was now Dobbins who was on trial. Mahone described meeting Dobbins in a bar and accompanying him to several other clubs around town. Like, why are you yeah. doing that? Because, why are yeah, you doing that unless you want to take advantage of exactly Robin? Right. Well, I don't think that's all he wanted. I think he... I. Th- well, I don't know. It sounded to me like he consensually effed him and then yeah. felt bad about it immediately, and that's why the nine bludgeons could when be. you're mad at yourself because you're gay and it you're could be self-hate. That too. It could be either one, yeah. But then the robbing does so, make that seem weird. So maybe, I guess maybe not just the robbing, but the robbing, I guess he's dead. Any, well, I don't know. He said he went upstairs to go to the bathroom, and then when he came back down... The lights were out and Dobbins was naked on the couch. Yeah, no, that's not how it works. People but, don't do But that. Dobbins' clothing was upstairs except for his underwear. His underwear was downstairs by him, but all the rest of his clothes were upstairs in the yeah, bedroom. they were... They were mess, 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 messing around with They were, were, yeah, consensually banging probably, and then he realized... What he was doing. The self-hate yeah. of homophobia, you know, like... Because he said he ran back upstairs, found the candlestick, came back downstairs... And then he claimed he hit Dobbins three or four times. Dobbins fell down on the couch and he tossed the candlestick down and fled. The I mean, house. he may have run up and done that, but well, nobody. It doesn't make any sense. Nobody bothered to explain why. Doesn't he just walk out the front door? Yeah, if why that he guy's just laying leave? naked on the kill the guy. Yeah. Nothing in his testimony explained how Dobbins received his fatal injuries or how the blood got on the candlestick. Given the testimony, the stolen items, and the bloody candlestick, it ought to have been an open and shut case. The prosecution asked for the death penalty. The defense asked for acquittal. The jury got the case at 8 o'clock and was still deliberating after midnight. So then the judge lost patience and calls the jury and says, if the state's entitled to a verdict in this case, it's entitled to it tonight. So he told the jury, if the defendant is entitled to a verdict in this case, he's entitled to it tonight. They forced him to just stay there. So the jury went back in the jury room and emerged eight minutes later with its verdict. Not guilty. One magazine, the nation's first pro-gay magazine, summed it all up in this way. It's called One Magazine? Yeah. It's a, it was a pro-gay magazine in the 50s? Yep. Wow. This is what it said. Quote, a bright and merry Christmas was in prospect for all. All, that is, except Jack Dobbins, who had spent his Christmas six feet under the sod with a shattered skull. But then, of course, Jack used lavender sheets. (laughs) What? They had to be catty at the end. They had to be catty at the end about his lavender sheets? Yeah. So that's the story of the candlestick that's, murder. Man, I I guess I'm really surprised. So I do think it's a it's a thing. Where I think he was robbing him. I think he was taking. You think he was robbing? You don't think I he think, had made love to him like he's gay? Oh, he, he probably was a prostitute. I bet. I bet oh. he probably totally did. Well, he's a prostitute. Maybe, maybe oh. he does it all the time. But then and he, then robs people because he's a prostitute. You know, a maybe. Prostitute. I didn't think about the prostitution angle. So you don't think he killed him out of like oh. I'm, Maybe. I shouldn't be gay. It could be either. But maybe he just killed him straight up. It doesn't make Maybe he was going to kill him all along. That's the thing I was thinking. He was probably flashing around money. But they're in the Air Force. I mean, not, I mean, who knows what. Because why would you even go to somebody's apartment with them? Unless you're at least gay. You know, gonna Unless you knew. I mean, it was very obvious, I would think. I mean, he sounds like he was very flamboyant. Yeah. So it's it was probably very obvious what he wanted. Or maybe it was a hate crime and he he was trying to convince Dobbins that he was gay too just to kill him like like a like a gay hate thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a, like a hate you know, if he bludgeoned him nine times. We should try to look at that guy. The other guy? Mahone. He... Um 
Yeah, because whatever happened to him? He just he lived his whole it. life. I don't he, know. It didn't say. Did he marry a woman and a family and all that? Like, look him up on LinkedIn. Yeah. His name was John Joseph M-A-H-O-N. It could be Ugh. Mahon, I guess. M-A-H-O-N. Uh, close the Smurfs page. Was he born in 1930, probably? Probably. That's what he looks like when he died. Longtime resident of Mineola. Beloved husband of the late Mary Mahone. Adored father of Teresa Connolly. Well, that's not going to say. He murdered somebody in 1998. Yeah. <laughs> should, te- should contact him? He's dead. This is his obituary. Oh, <laughs> anyway, well, that was... Ouija board. Oh, get the Ouija board out. We do a Ouija board podcast. And we should do it with our wieners. I don't have one. Oh, you don't have a wiener. You got to get one. It's awesome having one. I don't want any, all that stuff between my legs. You don't? Weird. I like the balls, too. Ew. Yeah, it's weird. Anyway, thanks for listening. You feel like a dingleberry? No, I don't. I no, because it's attached. It's part of me. It feels like all the stuff inside you f- would fall out. Mm, yeah. You've got all stuffed inside you. That must be weird. I don't feel it. Imagine having your butt cheeks shoved up your butt. That's what it must feel like for you. Hello? I don't know what we're talking about. We don't understand <laughs> each other's junk. We've been married 20 years, and we don't... I don't understand your junk. I don't understand your yeah, junk. I don't know what we're talking about either. What are we talking about? Oh, What's yeah. wrong with it's us? It's time to get out of here, Chuck Berry. Why are, why are we we're, podcasters? We are, we're not lucid anymore. If you're listening to this podcast, there's something wrong with you, I yeah, think. Yeah, probably. You probably should get checked out. Yeah, you should either... Keep, keep listening. Keep listening. We love you, but what's wrong with you? And why you do you like this? Get some, why do you like this podcast? Just kidding. You should like it. It's great. It's a great podcast. All right. We're great at this. Love you, everybody. Truman Ego Trip is the greatest band of all time. Byler Music.